0: Every year, millions of people around the world are diagnosed with vitamin D deficiency. But what does that really mean? This episode, we're talking to Dr. Manish Panda about the sunny vitamin, what it is, where it comes from, and why some people have more than others. I'm Jeannie Garbarino,
1: and I am Chris Walker.
0: This is the Incubator Podcast. Hi, and welcome to the Incubator Podcast. Today we have with us Manish Panda, who is a clinician scientist with the Brezel Lab here at the Rockefeller University. How you doing, Manish?
2: Good. Jeannie, how are
0: you? Good. Um, so, I think vitamin D is a pretty hot topic right now. I know a lot of my female friends are currently um, reporting to me that they are deficient in vitamin D, which makes sense because we live in the northeastern hemisphere, right? I mean, shouldn't we all just be vitamin D deficient?
2: Yes and no. You're you're right that it is an extremely common diagnosis, and as time goes on, more and more people are diagnosed with a vitamin D deficiency, and that raises a real public health question, which is, if so many people are deficient, is there a role for supplementation? And since millions of people are being diagnosed as deficient, we really need to know what's the best treatment for those people. And and you're right. a lot of people are deficient because of geography, so the natural way of obtaining vitamin D is through sun exposure, and so clearly living in New York during the winter is going to limit your ability to um, make vitamin D in response to sun exposure as opposed to living in Hawaii. So geography plays a big role, but even otherwise, um, you know, we, we now know that sun exposure also increases your risk for skin cancer, and so even when you do go out in the sun, people you know, appropriately so, tend to put on sunblock and that prevents the skin from making vitamin D. Uh, You know, even now during the summer, we often spend most of the day indoors, um, you know, not getting exposed to, to sun, can't make vitamin D. And so I think it's both geography, but also behavioral and lifestyle factors that contribute.
0: So what actually is vitamin D?
2: Yeah, that's that's another great question. I think when people are given that diagnosis of vitamin D deficiency, this is certainly a, a question that should be asked uh, of their clinicians. So vitamin D is actually a hormone. And I'm going to repeat that because it's really important that when you hear vitamin D, we, we think of it as, as a vitamin, but it's really a hormone. And we make vitamin D in the skin in response to the sun and what vitamin D helps our body do is to absorb calcium from the diet and it helps us maintain healthy bones. So that's the the main role of vitamin D is calcium absorption and the maintenance of healthy bones. So for example, at the turn of the 20th century rickets was a very common disease because there was no widespread vitamin D supplementation and as the population urbanized and they were not getting enough sun uh, exposure and they couldn't make enough of their own vitamin D their bone health suffered and so you would see a lot of kids who had rickets which uh, led to skeletal deformities and short stature and you don't really see that anymore now because vitamin D supplementation is fairly widespread but its main role is in bone health now in the last fifteen years there's been an increasing body of evidence that would say that vitamin D is important for other parts of health, including cardiovascular disease, cancer, immunity, but these are uh, largely unproven areas. There are a lot of associations and the evidence is building, but it's not as definitive as the line of evidence for bone health.
0: It doesn't seem like people are going to the doctor and being diagnosed with rickets these days. So. Yes, people are seemingly vitamin D deficient as um, what's coming up, I guess, in their blood work. But, I mean, is is this deficiency enough to affect their health?
2: So we don't know is the short answer. And, And you're right. People can be completely asymptomatic with vitamin D deficiency. And it's just something that pops up on a blood test, that it's just a number and we've drawn cutoffs for what we think are low levels versus normal levels. And it turns out that where we drew... That line, a lot of people are being diagnosed with deficiency. Now, I can tell you though that if you were to take, let's say, a thousand people just at random and divided them into people who had low levels and those who had normal levels and followed them over time, the people with the lower levels would tend to do worse. And by that, I mean you'd find out that they would have more heart disease, they would have higher blood pressure. They would probably tend to live for a shorter period of time. And so on an epidemiologic sense, there is an association between having a lower vitamin D level and having poorer health, or conversely, having a higher vitamin D level and being more healthy. So that kind of association exists, but what's completely unclear is whether you're benefiting by taking a vitamin D supplement. So just because you have a low level of vitamin D and you take a supplement to get your level into the normal range, it's not clear if you've benefited yourself in any way. All right, so let me give you the analogy I like to give to my patients. If you were to go to the subway series, a baseball game between the Mets and the Yankees, you could look at the crowd and you could say that Chances are, if somebody's wearing a Mets hat, they're a Mets fan. And if somebody's wearing a Yankees hat, they're a Yankees fan. You can make that level of association. But does that mean that if you walked up to somebody wearing a Yankees hat and made them wear a Mets hat, that you turn them into a Mets fan? No, right? And that's that's pretty obvious. And I'd say this, it's not so different for vitamin D. So vitamin D levels might be associated with health, but just because you forcibly intervene and bring that level up. Have you changed anything fundamental about that person? We don't know. We do know that you, you can prevent rickets, so that's one thing we can definitely change, but but can you decrease somebody's risk of getting cancer? Can you decrease the risk of a heart attack by giving them a vitamin D supplement? We have no idea.
0: And is, so is that what the conventional wisdom is is moving toward these days?
2: I, I think Yes, and, and I'd say unfortunately because vitamin D is over-the-counter and because it is nominally a vitamin even though it's really a hormone, people have this assumption that, well, it's safe, right? there's no downside. What, what could possibly be harmful about taking vitamin D? There's nothing that says that just because you're changing the number on the lab test that you've helped that person's state of health. So, yes, we can, we're can. we very good at diagnosing vitamin D deficiency, we're very good at treating vitamin D deficiency, but are we making a positive impact on health by giving vitamin D supplements?
1: I had a question about vitamin D and skin tone, you know, where you have darker-skinned people and lighter-skinned people, how does that really affect those groups? Are people who are of darker skin, people who are of African descent or Asian descent, are they more naturally prone to be vitamins, vitamin D deficient.
2: That's right. So we, we do know that in general, the darker a person's skin complexion, the lower their vitamin D level is. So, um, you know, in comparing blacks to whites, blacks on average have vitamin D levels that are 20 to 30% lower than whites. And the conventional thinking is that because we naturally obtain vitamin D from sun exposure that your skin needs to absorb a certain amount of sunlight and the darker your skin complexion, the more difficult it is for your skin to absorb the sun and therefore you make less vitamin D. However, even though we know that there's this racial difference in vitamin D levels, it's not clear if that predisposes people with darker skin complexions to more risk just because their levels are lower. In fact, There was a major article that was published last week in the Journal of the American Medical Association that compared the risk of vitamin D deficiency between blacks and whites and found that even though there was a graded risk amongst whites, so that the lower your vitamin D level, the higher the risk that relationship was severely attenuated in blacks. So it didn't seem to make as much of a difference in blacks compared to whites. And I think that's very important before we lump everybody together in, into one basket to say that, well, this is the appropriate level for everybody, and therefore we're going to give the same recommendations to everybody. It's very important to understand racial differences, age differences, gender differences, before we uh, prescribe a universal treatment, as we do for so many other diseases. Right? It's... There are so many other examples where the prescriptions and the therapies need to be tailored according to individual patient characteristics, and I don't see why vitamin D should be any different. And
0: that sort of reminds me a little bit of um, genomics and the insertion of genomics into personalized medicine. Can our genetics inform us about vitamin D and how the the types of actions we might take should we come across
2: deficiency? I think for sure... Uh, we will we will reach a point one day, maybe one day soon, where we will look at the genetic profile of a patient and that would inform us as to whether they would benefit from vitamin D therapy or not. It is clear that your genetic makeup does influence your vitamin D level. So even independent of things like skin color and age and, and gender, your genes can influence your vitamin D level. And so Uh, it's quite possible that two people have different vitamin D levels just because they have a different genetic makeup. And it's not clear if that genetic difference translates into any meaning for health. It may just be, that well, that's just the way your genes are and the way some people have blue eyes versus green eyes, and it doesn't really translate into any difference in health.
1: And so from a from a health perspective, if somebody wanted to increase their vitamin D levels without, you know, using supplements, you know, is there a recommended amount of time they should be outside and also like food sources, like are there ways that people can increase increase it through their food?
2: Yeah, it's also a great question. So the really the dominant way of obtaining vitamin D naturally is through sun exposure. There's very little vitamin D in the diet. The vitamin D that we do find in the diet is there because of supplementation. So milk, for example, milk and dairy products are probably the best example of vitamin D supplemented foods. Um, a quart, of vitamin, uh, sorry, a quart of milk has four hundred units of vitamin D, and that's the typical dose of vitamin D that you would get in a multivitamin, for example. Four hundred units of vitamin D a day is uh, probably barely at the threshold of what you'd need in order to maintain what a lot of people think are are normal levels. Um, There are some foods that are rich in vitamin D naturally. That's mainly fatty fish. So, um, you know, Atlantic salmon would have a high content of vitamin D. Uh, Mushrooms have vitamin D. But by and large, uh, there are really not very many foods that contain vitamin D and certainly not many foods that contain it naturally. So it'd be very tough to get uh, an adequate amount of vitamin D from diet to treat a vitamin D deficiency. Uh, really, the only ways to correct a vitamin D deficiency are to take oral vitamin D supplements or to dramatically increase sun exposure.
0: So for my kids, I actually um, have them come outside, play 15 or 20 minutes, and then I call them back in and I you know, slather sunblock all over them. Is that... I mean, am I do? Am I increasing their risk of skin cancer or am I, because I'm trying to weigh out the, the risk-benefit ratio to making sure they get enough vitamin D, but also making sure that they are protected from getting like a sunburn or increasing their risk of skin cancer in the future.
2: Yes, I I, I think that's a reasonable approach. Uh, you know, you, a dermatologist may feel differently, but I, I do think, you know, in general, everything in, in moderation is a good idea. And, and yes, I think. Uh, a few minutes of sun exposure is completely fine. And then to protect after that.
0: what about like in um, other like seasons when it's a little bit cool? Like, is it enough to just have your face exposed?
1: Yeah, that was going to be my question. Like, do you have to be like in a bathing suit or like trunks or, you know, is like short sleeve shirts enough to, to get the sun exposure you need.
2: Yeah. So uh, it, it depends, but I'll tell you, this is data that, We've generated our own because of a clinical trial that we're doing. the The more skin that you have exposed, the more vitamin D you can make. And for a lot of people, face or hands is just not enough. Uh, You you know, you really need shorts and t-shirt type exposure on a regular basis in order to correct a vitamin D deficiency. Now, there's some people who are not vitamin D deficient, and that might be for a number of reasons. Maybe they're, you know, as we talked about before, their their genetics. Um, their skin complexion, maybe they're they're drinking a lot of supplemented foods, whatever it is, maybe those people can get away with, um, you know, face and hand exposure, what I call casual sun exposure. But um, for people who are diagnosed with vitamin D deficiency, uh, no, face and hands is, is really not enough.
1: Yeah, you because know, I, I really like a, a lazy like Saturday or Sunday. I'm like a big fat cat. Like, I like to open my window, like, either on the sofa or in bed and just kind of lay down. I love, like, when the sun comes in. So, like, maybe if I was, like, in a T-shirt and some shorts for a good 30 minutes, that might be a little better than closing the the windows or the blinds.
2: Yeah, that sounds reasonable. I think, um, yes, so so sunlight, uh, or at least the the sun rays that help your skin make vitamin D, they don't penetrate ordinary window glass. So, it's it's definitely important to, to open the windows if you want that effect the sunlight has to be direct, so it has to be directly on your skin, again, because the UV rays, if they bounce off a wall or something, they may get absorbed and may not land on your skin. Um, and and if you're not getting burned or if it's not uncomfortable, um, you know, a half an hour might be a reasonable period of time. And yeah, I think that the more of your body that's exposed, uh, the better.
1: What about like the indoor UV um, lights that people have so that you can create vitamin D. Do you have a,
0: yeah. Aren't there like, yeah. Like UVA, UVB bulbs that you can get. I know I use them for my iguana back at the time when I had an iguana. Sad story.
2: So let's talk about UV for a second. So UV comes in three flavors. There's UVA, UVB and UVC and ordinary sunlight will have all three of those. UVA is typically considered the tanning UV. So a tanning salon, for example, those lights in the tanning bed are emitting predominantly UVA. UVB um, has more energy. It's uh, typically more damaging as far as long-term skin damage effects. That's the r- Those are the rays that will typically burn you. Those are also the rays that help your body make vitamin D. And so that's why um yeah there's a there is certainly a risk to unmitigated sun exposure but a, a little bit i think is is okay if it's enough to help your body make vitamin d um uh, but not so much where it's going to burn you um i think that's okay it, it will be very important going forward though to quantify that right so how do you tell somebody that they've gotten enough versus too much because that's also another thing where we can't tell everybody the same amount of time or uh, you know everybody can't wear shorts and t-shirt in the middle of summer because what that means in new york is very different than what it means in florida and so yes that's another thing we're going to have to personalize over time but in principle I, i do think that it's okay to get a few minutes of unprotected sun followed by sunblock protection
1: and so uvb those are the ones that hurt like when you're in the sun for a little while and it's like you know it feels like the old school magnifying glass on your skin? Is that. Is that when you know?
2: Those are the burning rays. Okay. And UVC is even higher energy, even more damaging. Oh, so wow. when we use the indoor lamps uh, to help people make their own vitamin D, it's a very narrow part of that UV spectrum. So it's only UVB rays. And even within the UVB, it's what we call narrow band UVB. So only a small part of the UVB spectrum is used, and it's the part of the spectrum that tries to minimize burning while optimizing vitamin D production. And we do know from very long-term studies of patients who need that therapy. So, for example, there are people with skin diseases who respond positively to getting that kind of UV radiation, so they get it as part of their ongoing therapy. We know that years and years of therapy does not increase the risk for skin cancer. So I, I don't think that it's really a one-way street. I think that, yes, there is some room for a safe amount of exposure that would actually benefit health, and then beyond that would be detrimental.
0: Speaking of these lamps, I'm reminded of um, SAD, or Seasonal affective Depression Disorder, right? Disorder. Um, is are, is uh, vitamin D deficiency associated with that at all, or ha- do it people is. look at it is so, but again, is it sec- Is we don't know if it's secondary or.
2: That's right. So vitamin D levels are certainly associated with mood in general. The lower your vitamin D levels, the more, or the sadder that you feel that you know the more depressed the mood is. Um, we did do a study at Rockefeller where we randomized people who were vitamin D deficient to receive vitamin D supplements versus placebo, and one of the things that we looked at was their mood to see if their mood improved, and at least. After an eight-week course of vitamin D, there was no improvement in mood. So yes, I think that this could be another thing where it's associated, but not necessarily causally related.
0: So let's get more into the clinical trials that you are actually doing. So you're interested in looking at the link between vitamin D and blood lipids or cholesterol levels in, in, in blood.
2: That's right. So we became interested in vitamin D a few years ago, largely because vitamin D deficiency, as we pointed out at the beginning, is so common. And we said to ourselves, well, literally millions of people are being diagnosed with vitamin D deficiency and they're being told to take vitamin D supplements. Once you've become an adult and you're not trying to prevent rickets anymore, what is the benefit of taking a vitamin D supplement, Uh, especially for some of these non-bone effects? So I think we'll all agree that vitamin D is important for maintaining bone health, but uh, when people say that it's good for their heart disease or cancer or immunity, what's the real basis for that? So that was why we started to get interested in Yes, we're a cardiovascular disease group, we focus a lot on cholesterol, a lot on nutrition, and so because cholesterol is also something that millions of people are paying close attention to, we thought that that would be a good surrogate. You know, the conventional thinking was that vitamin D would be good for your cholesterol. And in fact, if again, if you look at people at random and separate them into those who have low vitamin D versus high vitamin D, it's clear that the higher your vitamin D, the better your cholesterol profile is. So extending that thinking, you would think that if you took somebody with low vitamin D, Check their cholesterol, and then gave them vitamin D and checked their cholesterol again, that their cholesterol levels would get better. And so we did a number of studies. Uh, a few of them were pilot studies where we took people who were vitamin D deficient, gave them a sufficient dose of vitamin D to get their levels well into the normal range, and we found that not only did their cholesterol not change, but in fact there is a tendency for the cholesterol to worsen. That was particularly alarming. Because, uh, again, if millions of people are being told to take vitamin D supplements and even a small fraction of them are experiencing a worsening of their cholesterol, something that we know is related to heart disease, we could be inadvertently jeopardizing the cardiovascular health of a lot of people. And so, uh, since those pilot studies, we've done two large scale studies. One was a, a randomized trial of over 150 vitamin D deficient individuals where we randomized them to getting vitamin D or a placebo. And we did something very simple. Again, we just asked the question, what happens to cholesterol? And again, we found that vitamin D had no benefit on cholesterol. If anything, there was a tendency for cholesterol to worsen. Um, We did another study with Quest Diagnostics, which is the nation's largest provider of outpatient laboratory testing services. So when you talk about doing a study and looking at a sample of the population, they their sample is extremely large. And so...
0: Yeah, Quest is the, you know, if you go to the doctor and you get a blood draw, your doctor is probably sending those blood samples to be analyzed by Quest Diagnostics.
2: Yeah, very commonly. I mean, they, they will do uh, tens of millions of cholesterol profiles a year. I mean, it's, it's, a, um, it's they,
0: an amazing, it's an amazing sample for you to have access yeah, to. and
2: and. And we partnered with them, I think, in a very novel collaboration between academia and industry to, you know, answer a very clinically relevant question, but leverage the the assets of a commercial database. And so, uh, we we tried to answer two questions with them. Uh, one was, you know, looking at uh, tens of thousands of actual patients, we wanted to replicate the relationship between vitamin D and cholesterol. So. We said in actual patients, patients who are actually going to the doctor, getting their vitamin D and cholesterol levels measured, is that association still true? If you have a low vitamin D level, do you have worse cholesterol? Or if you have a high vitamin D level, do you have good cholesterol? And what we found was indisputably that is true. So if you have a low vitamin D level compared to somebody who has a high vitamin D level, those with the higher levels of vitamin D have much healthier cholesterol profiles, and in fact, if you were to put a number on how much healthier their cholesterol profile is, a quote-unquote normal level compared to a deficient level would mean a 12% reduction in your risk of heart disease, which is huge, considering that if it was causally related to vitamin D, you could just give people supplements which are relatively safe, cheap, and you could reduce heart disease by tens of thousands of events per year in this country. So that then begs the question, well, is that true? If you, if you do take somebody who's deficient and give them a vitamin D supplement, are you changing their risk? And we didn't have the, uh, the outcomes data to answer that question, are there actually fewer heart attacks? But what we could answer was, does their cholesterol change? So now we... We had done the study where we did it in a very controlled environment, and we saw that there was no change and, in fact, a tendency to worsening. And when we looked at the requested data in actual patients, if you looked at people who were vitamin D deficient and then had their vitamin D levels go into the normal range and compare those people to those who were vitamin D deficient and stayed deficient, you would think that those, whose vitamin D levels increased, would have had an improvement in their cholesterol. But as we saw in our clinical trial, there was no change in cholesterol. So this association, which may exist for any number of reasons, is not replicated with supplementation. And, and that was, I think, a critical finding because it was done in a sample size of over 8,000 people. And so, again, conflating this association with causation i think is is very dangerous
0: do you think poor cholesterol levels so okay let me ask another question someone who is has has poor cholesterol and is or a poor cholesterol profile and is vitamin d deficient if you put them on a statin to correct their cholesterol so statins are something will help lower the bad cholesterols in your in your blood will their vitamin d improve so sort of the other way around.
2: Yes. Um, so yes, that is true, actually. If you take people who have been given statins, and if you compare their vitamin D levels before and after, the vitamin D levels do go up.
0: So is cholesterol somehow interfering with vitamin D synthesis?
2: That's Yeah, that's quite possible. And in fact, both cholesterol and vitamin D derive from the same precursor. So it's not that much of a stretch to say that by influencing the metabolism of one of these, you're going to influence the production of, of the other. Um, but yes, in, in many, many trials of statins, these cholesterol-lowering medications, it's been shown that taking a statin does lead to an increase in vitamin D levels. So what's driving what is, is unclear.
0: I think I want to just tease out a little bit more um, the fact that um, vitamin D and cholesterol have similar structures, meaning that they are made in the body from the sim- from similar building blocks. And if you look at them, they look very similar.
2: They do. And in fact, they're really only one or two steps away from each other. So they share a common precursor, which, not to get technical, but it's called 7-dehydrocholesterol. And 7-dehydrocholesterol can either become cholesterol or become vitamin D. So if you look at the lineage of, of these two, cholesterol and, and vitamin D, they're not distantly related. I mean, they're, they're really quite closely related.
1: And I had a question. I was reading about your work in cardiovascular um, disease as well as kidney disease. There's an issue with obesity in America, and I was wondering how that fits as well. And then, you know, talking about obesity, there's obes- obesity issues with African American and Hispanic populations. And then does that also correlate with skin tone as well? Are you seeing those things kind of uh, compound one another?
2: Yeah. So obesity is um, a major health problem in the United States and, and it's becoming so worldwide. Uh, I think um, the entire population is, is getting heavier, um, so it's not that just that we have more obese people, but the the entire distribution is getting shifted, and um, it's really multifactorial. So part of it is is race, uh, some of it is um, the the nature of food availability. Uh, there's been some implication of antibiotic use maybe driving it, and, and so it's it's certainly not one thing, but uh, But yeah, it it is quite common. And and yes, obesity tracks along a lot of the same lines that vitamin D deficiency does. And so, but what's an association and what's really causal? We don't.
0: So um, I kind of want to comment on uh, gender. And this is completely anecdotal, but so many of my female friends are telling me that they are being prescribed vitamin D supplements because of their deficiency. I mean, what? Is there, is, it, is there something particular about female versus male when it comes to vitamin D deficiency? Or is this representative of something completely different?
2: Uh, so, so, yes, it's true that on average women will have lower vitamin D levels than men. Um, but it's not, it's not a huge difference. Um, it, again, it's something that you see on, on a population level. But I think there also is a notion that, uh, you know, women tend to suffer more from bone loss and osteoporosis, and and therefore I think they're treated more aggressively for it. The the reason why your your friends are saying it maybe is because, yes, women do have slightly lower levels, but but also I think among practicing physicians, there's more attention paid to women's bone health as opposed to men's bone health.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: And what about um, supplementation in and of itself? If someone is being prescribed vitamin D because they are deemed, in, you know, deficient, what?
2: How do you? What do you say?
0: What do you think about that? I mean, is this something that they need to discuss with a little bit further with their doctor, or you know?
2: I, I do. I think it's certainly something that patients should be educated about and take the initiative to inform themselves. I'll disclose the fact that when I was tested, I was vitamin D deficient. I don't take a vitamin D supplement. And so I think it is very important if you are instructed to take a vitamin D supplement that a very simple question is, well, what do you expect this supplement to do for me? Um, And if the answer is, well, we expect your vitamin D level to go up, that's great, but what does that mean in terms of, of my health? And I think that's a reasonable question to ask. And when I start to ask that question, I couldn't really get a good answer, and so that's why I don't take it.
0: And I think also not only informing patients, but having a broader discussion with physicians who may not be just up on the cutting edge research.
2: Yeah, and I think that's where the data comes in. So once you have the results from clinical trials, the data becomes very definitive, and the answers do become more crystallized, and it's easier to convince people that what they're doing is either the right thing or their practice patterns need to change.
1: So the clinical trial, how long will it last?
2: So we started the trial last fall. Uh, we are aiming to enroll 120 participants, and we anticipate that the trial will be completed in about 18 months, and, um, and hopefully shortly thereafter we'll have the results published.
0: Manish, thank you so much for, for joining us today. It's been a pleasure, and I, I should say that I have... Um, sat next to Manish for almost five years in the Brussels lab, and I've heard you speak to so many uh, people over the phone, you know, through your recruiting um, for the study and giving information about the study, and it's just been a pleasure to, to see all of your hard work come to fruition and for you to be pursuing even more um, just really interesting and r- incredibly relevant uh, research that could benefit all of us. So
2: thank yeah. you for that.
1: And do you have any last like advice for the listeners when it comes to vitamin D, like a takeaway for them?
2: I'd say that if you're, if you are diagnosed with a vitamin D deficiency, uh, be reassured that it is an extremely common diagnosis and we are working to figure out what that means and what you should do. Um, but, uh, I wouldn't rush to taking a vitamin D supplement, and it really is a decision that needs to be individualized between patients and their physicians. And thank you for having me. It's, it's really great to talk about the work that we're doing, especially at Rockefeller. I think this is one of the great scientific freedoms that we have here is that we can really study things that are for the benefit of humanity And something like vitamin D and cholesterol, which literally affects tens of millions of people we really are trying to get an answer to. So, um you suggest anybody who wants to get involved can get involved and volunteer to participate um, in our trials go to our website um, and and with your help we'll we'll get to an answer
0: and, how, and so let's plug the website how do they how do they do that
2: the website is rucares.org and if you want to know whether you can participate in a clinical study not just for vitamin d and cholesterol but any one of the number of studies that we're doing here there's a, a toll-free number Uh, To our recruitment office. It's 1 800 R U CARES.
0: So R U C A R E S um, dot org. The Incubator Podcast is supported by the Science Outreach Program at the Rockefeller University. Our producer is Tim Dennis. Our theme song is Springtime Jazz by Fool's Chaos. Thanks for listening.